This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome, everybody, to our weekly Global Leadership Platform Masterclass. I am Kevin Farquharson, and with me today is Louis Grunewald. It's great to be with you. And uh, today we're trying for the first time we're video recording Skype for our, our leadership thoughts. But for all things leadership, go to our website, www.leadershipplatform.com. And once again, we have probably, uh, we could say our favorite person, <laughs> Professor Theo H. Feltzman. He is a visiting professor and former HOD at the Department of Industrial Psychology and People Management School of Business and Economics from the University of Johannesburg. He now still continues. He's busy writing a book. He's written many books, and he's a regular on our Leadership Platform show. And uh, Professor Feltzman, uh, Feltzman, thank you so much again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks again for the privilege and also to be able to say, share some thoughts with our, to, with our listeners. So today, the theme, you've sent us an article, which we're also going to make available to our listeners as well, which is architecting the team-based organization of the future. Tell us a little bit more about that. Set the scene for us, uh, Theo, if you would do that, please. Kevin, one of the the critical uh, executive tasks of leadership is actually to to build, craft, or architect whatever word you want to use is the organizational design for the organization. And you may ask the question, what is design all about? It is the uh, essentially the operating model of the organization to del- identify. Uh, create and deliver value to their customers, their clients, into the the chosen markets of the organization. So it is a key task of leadership to actually ask the questions because around the design, because the design is the the probably to my mind the most critical way in which a leadership rolls out the strategy in the organization, in w- the way in which the organization functions, and its ability capability to actually compete. Um, and last time in the last leadership masterclass, we made the point about this world that looks different, and hence we need a, a different design for for the new world. The command and control design, the pyramid of old, is no longer good enough, and that what we need now is a high agile, high engagement, high networking organizational design, uh, and that is what we covered last time. I don't know whether you would like to come in here, Louis and, and Kevin, at this point. One has to see this discussion in the light of the previous uh, modules we discussed with Professor Theo. Um, and, and I think anybody who's really interested in understanding that the, the bigger picture of leadership uh, will benefit greatly by going through these modules. Today's emphasis, though, on the team-based organization is so, is so cr- crucial. I'm looking forward to the discussion, Theo. Um, uh, at the end of the discussion, we will indicate, with uh, Professor Theo's help, the kind of mindset change we need to go through to move from the traditional way of handling a team and then perhaps uh, uh, the more acceptable, authentic way in the modern requirements of handling a, a team. We look forward to that. Yeah, I, I think just to build further on that is that uh, unpacking in a very uh, more operational sense this high agile, high engagement, high networking organization that's more future fit 
in order to deliver on strategy to compete is then the whole crucial uh, concept that it's a multi-team systems uh, uh, format, a network of highly empowered, agile, interconnected teams at all levels in the organization, from the C-suite down to the operational levels of the organization. So the whole thinking currently is that teams will be the key building block of future fit organization, teams in all forms and shapes. So, Thea, just a quick thing. Is this going to mean that any organization from small to big is going to, just the way they're moving forward, is going to look totally different in the future? Or is it just some some small tweaking here and there? Uh, uh, Kevin, it's a very critical question you're asking because – Mostly our first response usually is just to put a new coat of, of, of paint on the building and think we're okay and move the furnitures around. I think what the new world is saying, what we've been talking in this pro, the master classes about this Vikas world, which is an extension of VUCA, it's about more diversity, variety, independency, complexity, change, ambiguity, and seamlessness. The boundaries are disappearing. Is a radical rethink of your organization. And this, the one of the interesting things which we discussed last time is that start with your customer and rethink outside in your customer and the experience you want to create for your customers that you can attract them, retain them, uh, get them excited. This is what people have said. We've moved from the service economy to the experience co- economy. Organizations are going to compete on the experiences they, they create. So that says start from first principles. Rethink. Don't throw the baby out with the, 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 the bathwater. They're good stuff that you're doing, but reconsider them in a new frame of reference in terms of a new kind of organization. That is the message here. So shall we go right into it? I think the first question we have to ask one another is, is this not another fad? Because it's very often a fashion, you know, now everybody's into teams. I think it's it's asking the question, and organizations have to think, reconsider it carefully, uh, in terms of what are the substantive material reasons. You know, in business language, we talk about the business case for going for a team-based organization. And there are a couple of things here. We know that teams in an uncertain, very complex, rapidly changing uh, uh, context are much better at finding different and new solutions, especially if those teams, and that is what's required in this new world, is uh, you need cross-functional, cross-multidisciplinary uh, uh, kind of solutions to the challenges you face. Also, the challenges that organizations are now facing are not in financial and operational and engineering and HR type challenge. These are organizational challenges, which then in turn also reinforces the point about uh, an integrated perspective from the organization that you can only gain through teams to find these uh, solutions. Technology is becoming more complex. Uh, we we need disruptive innovation in this Vikas world to keep ahead. And teams are much better in terms of the creativity they've got, uh, the, 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 the innovation, the inquisitiveness to come up with different uh, um, solutions. So you need 
teams that are empowered and also the autonomy that you have to give people to work in these teams to actually take, take decisions at their level of where the action is. So these are a couple of the reasons why the business case for a team-based organization has become so strong. To, to summarize, it's actually mobilizing all of your people in an integrated fashion, but focused on in a one-stop way on what value you want to deliver or what capabilities you want to create in your organization to actually give you this competitive edge. I just want to confirm, Theo, what you're saying from practical experience. We've sat down with many teams. Uh, and from experience, we've learned the first thing you kind of intuitively sense is the action of the team around the person, of the leader. So what we've done is we kind of uh, insist that we get involved with the team and, in fact, join the management meetings um, at the top, um, even down at practical level. And this has made a vital difference because people react differently um, to, to you when they sit with the top leader and as opposed to in the, in the actual uh, production stage as well. And then you sense the difference and now uh, I mean some cases you find there's a, a definitely a sense of unity amongst the leadership team um, and that leads to creativity a sense of satisfaction and directly proportionate um, is the fact that some of the people say when we do one-on-ones with them in a, in a good team they really look forward to Monday now this is something that at the beginning of, of training you find often that People really don't look forward to Monday. Now, what I am saying, though, Theo, that you just don't uh, um, obtain this level of teamwork mm. by just saying, I want to be a good team leader. Mm. And this is the reason for this podcast today is for us to look at some well-researched, quality, international class thinking on how to build that kind of team that you need for the future. It, it just gives the individuals the... The, if I don't want to call him the small fry because nobody, nobody's a small fry in any organization. It just gives him a sense of belonging um, where they, they don't fear this coming in and they be given instruction A to Z and you do that and, you, and you're a clock watcher as they call it. It gives you a sense that you, you're part of something, um, especially when you bring it out that if you're not here today, Kevin, it's going to affect our team. And not just saying it, but knowing it yourself. If you are an, an, a new person in the organization, knowing that you are an effective part of that in the, in the cogs, but really believing it, not just being told that, uh, makes such a big difference. And, and like Louis was saying, it, it is an attitude also with the change of, and what you're saying, the change in the mindset of the leaders, uh, the senior leaders, owners of the business, Having this mindset, it's, it will create wonderful miracles even in, in the organizations. I, I mean, that reinforces your previous point, Kevin, that this is just not merely a paint of coat you're putting on your existing organization. You know, kind of Friday, we're still working in our functional silos. As from Monday, we will now work in teams. Uh, it is really a rethink. And, and Louis, what you said, you know how I test that in teams, when, when whether the team is really functioning in terms of a teaming mindset and a teaming culture, is when they start they debating firstly 
organizational issues from an organizational perspective and not from like especially in the exco from a functional perspective and i'm trying to grab as much resources for my department at to the detriment of others i'm uh, what you really see sometimes i observe in these teams where an executive would say guys i think in this case i have to let go some resources for the sake of the bigger picture in terms of do this and that they 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 their point of reference is what the organization wants to achieve and not their particular function and how we in totality can contribute to the success and the performance of the organization you know we we love to drill down to essences in our game of leadership uh, what Theo said I think needs uh, further emphasis and this is the fact that what he does he measures the team spirit by seeing to what extent the contributors the team members debated from an organizational context not just from a, a functional context now when you just debate it from a functional context it's bound to cause friction and controversy in a negative way um, because a person says no I can't do my job properly if I don't have the following but when you have a team effort, um, the person automatically, uh, in his own mindset, orientates it towards the, the, the bigger picture and makes a massive difference because you're part of the contribution and it makes a uh, massive difference in terms of creativity and, and, quite frankly, the light in the eyes has been my experience here. So that point by well, Theo, is very important, I think. And you know, a very practical one, uh, you, how you can test it. You know, is is where the exco looks after the. You know, they do their financial report back in terms of the budget. And the one area of the organisation is suffering because of some reasons they've run out of budget. It's not because of them, but demands have changed. Another area is cash flush, and whether they're willing to put and say, "Listen, let's move the money from my area. I don't really need it. You are really the money is more needed there." That the budget becomes a fluid kind of uh, instrument of allocating resources and not uh, to, to actually defend one empire against the other in the organization. I remember, see, as a young man, I was working uh, temporary. I was writing, kind of try, trying to write, be a writer those days in a, in a government department. And there's a head office many years ago. And as I said, the, the, the department next door was really under terrible pressure, a lot of work. So we spoke to the boss and said, can't we help them? He said, no, no, you must do what you do. Don't worry about them. It's a, exactly the opposite of what you're saying. And hopefully, hopefully, people who want to keep their head above water nowadays must, must understand team building is very important. Maybe we've used the term now, teams, very loose and fast. Maybe, Kevin, Louis, we must just uh, kind of uh, put a little definition on the table just to, to, to get uh, the purest in our midst clear. A, a team for me are a small group of people working together. So it's not 200 people. It's not 300 people. What the research has shown Actually, those groups and the recommendation nowadays is for a business unit for not to be larger than uh, uh, about 100 people. They automatically kind of spontaneously uh, uh, um, break down into teams. So the kind of guideline for a team where people can be form a tight spirit, a tight kind of uh, working together is between 10 to tw uh, 2 to 10 people. It's about having a common goal. It's about bringing, Kevin, your point, you, uh, you're on a team for what you can uniquely contribute 
thoughts and actions and experience and expertise. So you have a place there to help the team achieve. There's interaction. And now the interesting thing nowadays, this interaction, you know, in the past we defined teams, the the, the team members must sit in the, the phys, same physical location. With virtuality, and, and the, they need not be. They can work virtually together. But then there is what's very important we've learned from virtual teams. There must be this mindset that we're working towards a common goal and we're also contributing in that way. So physicality, physical proximity nowadays is not essential, but from time to time, though, people have to touch flesh to feel a feel that they are a team. So, of course, they also have a, a, a set of common values that they share. So that's kind of a shared goal. We can't do it on our own. We need the different skills. And we also then, uh, Louis, I think you referred to it, we identify that we're a team together. And we're on the playing field, so to speak, together as a team. So people see us as a team and we see ourselves as a team. I think later on, Theo will expand on how you you identify the team. Uh, let's just look then the uh, briefly at the types of teams making up the, an organization of the future um, Theo? And I think what's very interesting, if we now accept the principle that in the future fit organization, organizations are going to be multi-team systems, we have to understand the, the type of teams we, we need to have an organization at the different levels, because it also implies a flattening of the organization and that you only not have teams at certain levels, but throughout. Um, the one, the way I've come up with it, and it's for debate there, the way I've kind of worked it out based on what people are saying, that you're actually talking about, I'm now talking about horizontally, when you split the organization, you, you actually talk about three types of teams. The one is where people are talking from a strategic perspective that organizations compete on the basis of a, a unique very difficult to imitate capacity capacities that they create in the organization. So it could be the capacity to create new client solutions. It could be the capacity how to deliver in a different way to clients. These are your key capacities. And the father of this kind of view of the organization is 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 uh, Hamel and Prowlot that wrote an uh, award-winning article in the Harvard Business Review on the core competence of organizations. Because out of that synergy, you create new products. So you have capacity building teams, a capacity working uh, work stream with capacity building teams along the, the client value chain of clients' needs and solutions and delivery and aftercare. Then the second group uh, work stream of teams are the teams that actually deliver, but they are grouped around a particular client value proposition. So I we want to uh, deliver this to a client. There's a client value proposition and you string your teams along that value chain and they can be reconfiguring all the time in order to create uh, um, value for the client in a one-stop fashion. Defined again the concept of client value proposition. We mustn't take this for granted. Do you mind just uh, uh, defining that? 
I mean, it is like um, to, uh, a mining uh, company would be to deliver my product in the right form. Like, is it coal? Uh, like to Eskom power stations? Is it gold? Is it diamonds in the right form at the right time for my client? And in the process that the client has a very good experience in acting with me. Um, I mean, I've heard this, this story about, uh, not a story, a case study of a, of a company in, the st uh, in, in Europe that made uh, car uh, parts and they, they've been in existence 30, 40 years. They never their reputation, the promise they made to their clients, an order will never be late. And in their 30, 40 years they had never had a late order. And then at this particular order there was some uh, uh, problem with it and they realized the order was going to late. The team was empowered to actually charter a helicopter to take the order and go physically deliver it to the client. And the client was over the moon. They said, you've kept your promise. And by the way, uh, it wouldn't have been actually bad for us to get the order late because we kind of have got enough stuff in stock. But they lived the promise. Or, or, or the, 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 the uh, let's take it to the uh, the the uh, to a retail store like a uh, a pick and pay or shop. Right, you walk into the shop from the moment you walk in there. There's just this good experience in terms of how friendly the staff is, how helpful they are, how quickly you get serviced, and you're out of there in no no time. So the client value proposition is about both the product and the service in terms of the experience you deliver to the client. And they just want to come back and have more. That's the, the client value proposition for me. And the teams will be grappling all the time how to make this client value proposition more exciting, more memorable for the client. So that's the, the, the client uh, delivery teams. The third one are your traditional like finance, like IT, like uh, HR uh, that are turned into delivery enablement teams. So they're there to help the delivery and the capacity teams to do their job. But it's not in, a, in the old fashion of prescriptive and we do and we'll come and do the recruitment. The trend in the team-based organization is that the day-to-day -day finance, procurement, IT, uh, um, HR uh, activities are performed by these teams themselves. The, the, the uh, delivery enablement teams provide the toolbox that the other teams in the other work streams will use in order to deliver. So you have these delivery teams. Maybe you first want to comment before I, that was kind of a, a horizontal cut through the work, uh, the work streams, the three work stream capacity, delivery, and enablement before we get to the levels, which that's also interesting in terms of team-based organizations. I think we almost bear in mind, that uh, defining the nature of the teams has a dramatic impact on the worker's own concept of himself, his contribution, sense of belonging and, and performance as well. I think it's, uh, it's beautiful. So you also understand where your function lies in, in this kind of grouping. Thanks for that, uh, Theo. Yeah. Uh, if you now, I would like to take a levels of approach so vertical cut through the team-based organization at the micro level uh, that's roughly work levels levels of work three to one you have the teams that deliver in each of the work streams but it's organizational capabilities enhancing that renewing that 
whether it's a renewing your client value proposition or doing delivery in Abram, you've got specific teams there. And they're reconfiguring all the time depending on what value they want to deliver. At the meso level, the intermediate level, you have kind of uh, forums. I call them communities of practice where these respective teams come together and debate things around capacity and how do we build better capacity in the organization but it's in an integrated fashion they talk about how do we enhance client experiences what are the lessons learned from our interactions with our clients and then the delivery enablement forum come together and say how do we better enable the other work streams to deliver that's that's the meso level, the community of practice level. And and you have cross-representation. That's the other important thing of a team-based organization. You don't work in, fun, uh, in, 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 in silos. You actually have cross-representation in these different forums. And at the top, and that is the most uh, <laughs> challenging thing, Kevin, in terms of your rethink, what you have is – a not an exco, but a leadership council where the different parts of the organization are represented. The analogy I want to use here is like a parliament. You still have a CEO that carries the can. It's not that you're avoiding accountabilities, but you broaden the space where you now have a total perspective. Come across one example in the American uh, uh, um, U.S., the U.S. Army, where the leadership council, they talk about a team of teams, when they, uh, on, a, on a, a weekly basis, come together, do their briefings, decide on what actions they want to take. I'm talking about the Middle East, Afghanistan, Syria, and those places. They have to up to 7,000 people participating in this discussion. Uh, connected by technology, and they develop the total picture, and they all go away, and they're empowered in their spaces to act because they understand the bigger picture. Brilliant. Now, we, Kevin and I are involved personally in an organization that really has mastered the Leadership Council concept. Oh, what a difference it makes. Uh, it, it opens the way to caring for people and, and the confidence, and also you get the feeling everybody is involved. Uh, this example of 7,000 people is an excellent one too. So, okay. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, you, you've had examples, uh, and I don't know whether it happens in a regular basis, but Nando's a while ago, I don't know how many years they were old, they they rented a sports stadium, and they got the employees all together in South Africa, at least, to talk about that. Imagine you follow, we've got the technology now that you involve all the leaders from the different perspectives and we've come to the leadership in a while now because that's rotating where they join also together to talk about the strategy for the coming period and then they go away and they take it into the areas. Immediately you don't need a CEO roadshow to put it across and people saying, yeah, it's a nice PowerPoint slide, but where do I fit in and what do I have to do? And it remains kind of on the podium and doesn't go into the corridors and into the workshops where it needs to happen. That's interesting because in, it's, in our country, unfortunately, the CO Roadshow idea is still very prominent, isn't it, Socio? And the truth is that the CO then, the, the CO then wants to impart in, say, a VR session the whole evolution of how they arrived at this decision. <laughs> it doesn't work, yeah. and that's why the chances of the staff embracing it is really very, very slight. Hmm. 
Yeah, uh, they can't because you know the the and, and that's where leadership also falls flat. There, it's expected now that the senior managers, the middle managers, must now translate that into so that the receptionist and the plant operator knows what the vision means in their space. In this team-based organisation, it becomes a living thing. They participate in all sorts of levels and they're exposed to it and they take it away. There's little need for translation. Uh, I mean, for me, one of the most beautiful examples after the Second World War, when Japan was flattened, uh, there was a small construction, uh, earth moving um, equipment company called Kumatsu. I mean, Caterpillar was the big company. They gained through the Allied uh, forces, you know, they bought the equipment, etc. Japan is flattened. He called, I've forgotten his name, CEO called all the employees of the company together. He said, I've got only one brief to you. Let's go and beat Caterpillar. Do whatever you need to do, whether you're the buyer, the product designer, the salesperson, do whatever you believe is necessary to go and beat Caterpillar. And the rest is history. Komatsu is now one of the top you know, earth-moving equipment uh, type of companies, some of the most sophisticated equipment. I don't know how they compare in terms of turnover, but a highly regarded world-class player. I know. Personally. That was his only message. No, no road show. Just go and beat Caterpillar for me, please. Well, personally, I've got a son-in-law who's a high-level uh, legal counsel in uh, Caterpillar, and how they've taken <laughs> taken the hit in terms of dramatic reduction in turnover. I think they're trying to climb up again, and they were top top in the field. So just confirming exactly what you were speaking about, Theo. I think what's next important. You've got a view now of the kind of constellation of teams that you you want to have in your organisation and how they should be organised. What is the next important step? Is is a twofold step in designing such an organisation. It's like and that's why I deliberately use the word architecting, is you need to, like you would give a brief to an architect while building a house, you need to give specs, have specs, design criteria we call them, and what this organization must be able to do, must contribute, must facilitate. You know, when you talk to an architect, you say, I want a house of this size uh, with these number of bedrooms, etc. These are the criteria. He goes away and he designs accordingly. So what's important is when organizations think about setting up a, a, a team-based organization, what are the criteria given a Vikas world that they have to consider? Uh, and a couple, I would like to suggest a couple. May I go ahead with the criteria? First one, uh, first one is a clear identity for the team. Why do we exist? What we want to contribute? What do we stand for? If you don't have that identity, you, you've got nothing around which to mobilize uh, and center the team. And part of that identity is also a clear client value proposition. What, who's our client's what must we deliver in terms of uh, – so they they kind of have got two fixed points, identity, who, are, who and what are we? Secondly, my, my client value proposition. The second one is that you give them a whole job to do. In other words, they must serve a client segment or they must handle a total end-to-end -end process, not this kind of Mickey Mouse fragmentation uh, of the processes. That's the second uh, criterion for me. The third one is that you will um, 
uh, create that there must be significant roles inside the team, although I immediately want to qualify that to say the team is going to be self-designing. This is very important about the team has got its boundaries in terms of identity and, 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 uh, uh, and the client value proposition. Now it's got a total job to do that it is now got the autonomy to actually design itself how he wants to deliver and reconfigure itself over time as conditions change. So they must have autonomy to make the decisions. They must have self-governance. They must also have a lot of information or rather intelligence at their disposal to be able to make these decisions in real time. They must have a high participative culture they must have the, 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 the quality, the design criteria of agility and responsiveness. They must be able to innovate, resilience, flexibility, be able to multitask and multi-skill. This is just a, a list, Louis and Kevin. I think in the end, you need to get your specs right to really bring about a team-based type organization. And these specs will vary depending on who and what you are as a company and what you want to deliver. But you must get the criteria, hey? That's the important thing. In reality, what happened is uh, people are often um, given or bombarded with with great uh, talks and articles and videos and podcasts, etc., which may uh, communicate these specific attributes you spoke about. You know, Theo. Otherwise, you should uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you should encourage participation. You should help that the people become self-designing. Um, you should uh, c- create a clear, robust identity. I think what this discussion does um, communicate very effectively is that you've got to put these things together, and then the end result is not just a specific attribute you're developing, but actually a team that can really perform miracles. Um, there's a warmth to the design, so it's not a, a cold functional uh, a purpose of specific attributes, you know, that, oh, I'm, I really want to get more resilience into my team. <laughs> well, so it's a mindset, and the mindset is motivated a great deal on the creation of a of a team that can really, really make a difference out there. So thank you for that, Theo. It's it's very helpful, though. But let's look at the total picture. What are we doing this for? And ultimately, uh, from a business point of view, it's become competitive, and it's really about providing service to the customer. If you're a government part department, it's providing service for your customer. Now, everybody recognizes that nowadays, but putting together takes authentic leadership uh, on this basis. That's why we've got Theo on the program. I, I think, uh, uh, well put, uh, Louis. Uh, I, I think for me, can I use an analogy here again? It is like saying I, we, we understand the journey, where we want to get to the destination. We know who we what uh, are, and now we have to decide what car we're going to use. Is, is it going to be a sedan car? Uh, in terms of the specs for the journey, or do we need a four by four, or do we need a different uh, something in between? Understand what your teams must be able to do, and then draft the criteria, inter- the design criteria to actually uh, uh, design and architect such teams. And what helps a lot. So I just want to move a little bit on. It seems abstract, and what I found very useful in working with organisations. Create a design vision, kind of a day in the life of this team. If the team is working across uh, according to this criteria, what, how will the team function? 
So you can do it industrial theater. You could do it with role plays. You can even do a contrast to how you're currently operating and you want to operate. And then what is also useful in, in, in giving some substance. Remember, you only know your current organization. You don't know the future one. And you are, there's no data on the future one. You're still creating it. It's to create a metaphor of how you want to work if you're working according to uh, this design criteria and day in the life. And we've in the past talked about a symphony orchestra against a jazz band. The other one that's also useful is to talk about a sports analogy. You want to work like uh, uh, um, special uh, athletes that each one specializes, but you still bring the effort together. You want to work like a relay team. You know, running a relay team, baton passes from the one to the other. At what time do you do the handover? What's the quality of what you're handing over the specs for what you're handing over? Third one is to like a soccer team on the playing field all the time. The goal is a joint effort, while in the previous two teams, it's actually combined effort of each one's effort individually. And finally, the analogy of a volleyball team. Ball comes across the net. It's a task to be done. Whoever's in place places the ball, and that's the fully multi-skilled, fully multitask uh, team. So create a metaphor, a picture of what this the, your team-based organization is going to look like when you walk uh, work according to these design criteria. From practice, experience, uh, uh, the, the authentic leaders we come across, uh, many of them have this ability. To, to relate through metaphors, examples, um, and immediately it gives a context to the person sitting on the other side. So important. You see, we've, often we've got a well-developed mind and training, etc., and we kind of clear conceptually what we want to do. But the truth is to communicate it, the person on the other side has to understand it through practical terms. Good examples uh, out there, experience out there, uh, what your colleagues have managed to do, and the value of symbols, like, for instance, the sports illustration as well. Uh, it takes a good leader to do that, and what a difference it makes. I've seen that happen often. Uh, Theo himself, he loves to, to work on metaphors, and suddenly it gives context to the, the advanced theory that he's trying to carry over. That makes perfect sense, I think. I think also the what you're talking about, and I love your analogies with, with the sports teams, it helps you to realize what how do you actually want to function. It, it makes it more practical instead of we're going to do it the same old way. Uh, you know, the CEO is there, he tells us we go do. Now it's a case of how do you want to do it and how do you best fit? What type of team do you feel best in? Uh, I like that that idea as well is that it can be done many ways. You know, the the, the amazing thing with maths now is uh, the, the younger generation is taught how to do different ways of getting the same result. Whereas when we were at school, you, you did it this way and you carried over and you wrote it up there on the left and, and it was only done one way. And this, again, emphasizes that you can do it, that you can get the same result with using different people's different unique talents and gifts in able to accomplish what, what your, your, your aim is that you're wanting to achieve. Yeah, Prof. Prothio, uh, um, can I just mention an example? which was touching to me. I've been working with a team um, that I responded very warmly, but boy, did they differ 
Um, what happened is we've got a modern, sharp uh, black leader, well-educated and qualified, working in a, in a dangerous environment as well. And this guy has done a, a great job. Um, and this environment, though, in the past, you know, uh, the, the way that they built team spirit with the management is uh, regularly getting together after work and spending time uh, in, in, in drinking, quite frankly. And this way they built a certain kind of partnership, you know, or kind of spirit. But those days, with respect, are mostly gone because in the process, families are broken up, you know, uh, and quite frankly, it doesn't build team spirit in a genuine, authentic manner. This team now has really started building an authentic team spirit. Man, what a difference it makes. Um, so they don't need to have the old ways of, if you you know those, uh, you work hard and you drink hard <laughs> together. Uh, people um, differ, and just that the requirements nowadays are so different. We must invest, and this is the purpose of this discussion. Very, very much so. Uh, can I just come back on this on the metaphor, Kevin? The 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 powerfulness of a metaphor is if people buy into the metaphor, it empowers them to start behaving that way. Eh? So if you say we're like a soccer team, I immediately understand I have to be on the playing field all the time. I can't do my little job and then go home. Uh, we haven't achieved together as a team until we haven't scored a goal, so to speak. People are immediately empowered and they can uh, apply the metaphor in their space and start thinking and behaving and, and doing things in, in the that's in correspondence with it, with a metaphor. It's very empowering. Uh, empowering. Great. Sorry, Lou, if I could ask, is there any example, you, you talk about this team you've been working with, mm. and, you know, they're no longer going and drinking. What are they doing now? Is, is there something that you can share with us of what are they doing now that is bringing in their team? But, uh, Kevin, this is the point of the discussion today. Um, they've got a, a great deal now binding together. They're thinking of the team. The contribution is not a, a functional one anymore only. It's a team effort. The guys light up as they support each other, as the old experience guys contribute to the younger people. And it's crossing race lines. Um, it really building a... a a, a team in a dangerous environment and they're performing well so the need though to create additional additional um, uh, methodology said like for instance drinking together or even playing on the same sports team like in remember the old days uh, you, you you could join the mine like I was offered I was a good rugby player they offered me to become an official because I could play, play rugby now nowadays you can't do that any, anymore so the dynamics of the team they're building uh, uh, Kevin is covering that gap and it's happening yeah. in the workplace not outside the in the workplace in the meetings and so on and also what happened is their interest in this other has changed now they're starting to reach the stage of imparting that with the people that work for them so this is where um, the, the the senior leaders says this team has been enabled to do that and what a difference it makes yeah, you know how you get that right as well uh, Kevin and, and, and Louis is by which spoke about what is our identity? What difference do we want to make? So we've got a purpose and a meaning in the team. So we don't need artificial means to actually create that sense that we want together. And the other point is for me to open up the client experience to the team. 
We've delivered under these conditions these amazing results. And that is really reinforcing. So between identity and value proposition, you don't need artificial kind of uh, scaffolding to keep the team together. They really get excited by that. I mean, if you hear that uh, from out of a client's mouth or it's uh, whatever way the client uh, communicates with, you've done an amazing job here. I didn't realize that you could do this. What more? A kind of encouragement do you want to have? Okay. This is exactly the experience I was speaking about. Thank you. Okay. Uh, some, Theo, some building blocks. Of- yeah. Uh, what you need to do now, it's like a house that you build. You've got the specifications. You know what kind of house you want to have to live into that house. You need now to pay it, it, translate that into the building blocks of the team. And that's like, you know, continuing with the analogy of a house, it's the cement, this electrical articulation system. There's certain building blocks, and we don't have time to delve into all of them. But understand that there's something like a team context. You have to consider that the scope of the team, the mandate, what type of leadership it is, the formal stuff in the team like the structures and the composition of the team members, how you want the team to handle the team processes in terms of information uh, gathering, decision-making, problem-solving. The uh, teams go through life cycle stages. They form, they storm, they start performing, and then specifying what the team has to deliver, uh, the team outcomes in terms of the client uh, outcomes. So the point here is make sure that you pay attention to all of the building blocks when you finally get your teams in a very practical way together and that you don't ignore something. It's like you know trying to build a house without cement. You can at most just put the bricks upon one another and then the, the first wind that blows or the rain, the house will fall over. So make sure you've got all the building materials to when you put your teams together with regard to their vision, with regard to criteria, uh, the complete stuff on the building site, so to speak. I think our, our thinking uh, listeners could study the text that uh, Theo provides. It's, it's really thought-provoking. I think, though, Theo, it would be great if we spent some time on uh, what you call features of high performance, high engagement, uh, responsible yeah. teams. I'm interested in those features. Uh, you, yeah, You've put the teams together now according to the criteria, the vision. You have covered all the building blocks. Now you have to have the ability to recognize whether your teams are doing well. Are they really in terms of of performance, engagement, and responsibility, uh, these the teams you want to see in your organization? And there are a couple of uh, uh, measures that you can apply. The first is... There's a good fit between the team and its context. And you can arrange these features as per the building blocks, you know. Were the bricks laid very well? Was the roof put on top? Was the electricity, uh, electrical reticulation, is it complete? Is it not uh, kicking out the power and things like that, the power drops? The second one is the scope challenging. Do people feel stretched by it? And your value proposition sits inside that. And is there a high commitment of team members to the uh, to the the the, uh, uh, the scope and the mandate of the team. Are there sound values in the team in terms of leadership? Is the team well governed, or does the team feel they're all over the show? Nobody knows what's going on. There's no direction in terms of the structural dimensions. Um, please, you must come in whenever you want to. It is 
as the team got the right mode of delivery and working in the right roles, again, the sports analogy, there is a soccer uh, goalie in the, in the soccer team, there is a defender, and, and they, they've got a game plan, how they work. Are the people motivated and challenged by the team? This, the dynamic dimensions is how the team is functioning on a daily basis and how often don't we see it. Uh, does everybody, Kevin, your earlier point, feel part of the team? Or are some people, there's an in, in kind of little group and there's an out group and uh, uh, we just bear with you, so to speak. So a sense of inclusivity. How constructive and healthy are the team processes like conflict resolution, problem solving, um, and do the team members support one another inside the team? And very often for me, you know, the criteria is uh, when I interact externally, what does a team member say, you know, and there's a critique on the team, does that person also carry the criticism or say, you know, I know that that team member of us is not doing a good job. So they're not uh, supporting one another. They are offending for their, uh, their own and there's no... Then the technology, how well do they use technology? Are they at the performing stage of their life cycle? Is there pride in the performance? And is there a high level of trust in the team? So get your criteria to be able to judge whether your teams are actually functioning very well and making a contribution. Have a scorecard if you want to put it that way. Prop, let's just reinforce one or two points that I find exciting because, again, I, I see parallels out there. Um, for instance, to provide a clear, challenging uh, team scope, you know, the more you focus and trust your teams, the more you're not embarrassed to provide a challenging team scope. And sometimes a good leader will, would feel, I don't know how on earth they're going to do it, but they can do it. And this is what I've found. And everybody's eyes light up when they uh, experience solutions that they didn't think was really uh, practical to aim at. So uh, challenging team spirit also perks people up. They feel respected. And this ties in with the other attributes, Theo. I can just mention one practical example of people developing a team spirit is the one old timer that I worked with. He was overburdened and man, he always complained of uh, that everybody comes to him all the time and man, he just, they say, should give him an assistant, etc. You know, you're always looking for more structures, not so theo if you're not doing your job properly. Then he started getting the vision with long discussions on letting people solve their own problems. And he changed because he's a people pleaser, but suddenly he's adapted. So when his people come to him, the first thing he asks, well, define the situation. Then he says, what are you going to do about it? And you know, he's getting dramatic results. And ironically, his workload has decreased and the team spirit has grown. This is what happens when you start building a team spirit rather than one that's functionally uh, around your own responsibility and your own kind of tough world as well. So it's great seeing that. It's, a, it's something beautiful about a responsive team. Uh, I think it's an exciting aim to have in life. Yeah. I think also what, Louis, what's very nice, you've kind of given a good lead into the change in the leadership role in a team-based organization, which is exactly one of the key points there that you said. Instead of me being the center of everything, me solving the problems, me defining what we do, it now becomes shared leadership. It is where in my space as a role, I mean, the goalie doesn't go to the defender to tell you how I must defend the goalie. 
it's its job. Uh, it's its role that's been clarified, the overarching goal of we want to win this game, we want to win the league. Uh, I take up the role in shared leadership. Theo mentioned a lovely example before our podcast today. He's been training all over the place uh, in Stellenbosch University for advanced uh, postgraduate students. Also in Slovenia, of all places, uh, uh, several of leaders in the society were present. And Theo, with respect, the way he went about embracing them and uh, respecting them, at the end of the they had spent a time in actually training other departments or, or sections um, on exactly what they learned and how they responded. This is all in the course of, uh, of a couple of days, showing again that the trust he had in the dynamics theory, that if people embrace it, and then you can expect them to take the stand and to apply it. And this is a good example. And, and he was saying how well they performed. I said, well, he must have done something right. <laughs> the old style of a professor would have been to lecture. Theo has learned, he's, remember he's a work psychologist, he's learned it doesn't work that way. People have to embrace the ideas or else it's worth really nothing. Yeah. I, I think, Louis, what you're saying, uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, realize that work is a shared activity and not a sole, sole individualistic activity. Uh, should we move on to the leadership implications of a team-based organization? Louis, Louis, you already touched on the one. Firstly, in this type of organization, there's a major transformation for leadership compared to the traditional leadership. Kevin, your point again, is it just merely paint, new paint on the old building? The first thing is, Louis, you've touched on it. It's a movement from a fixed position where rotating roles of leadership in the organization, whoever is best. To, to tackle a certain challenge on behalf of the team within the team context actually is the leader at that point in time. Uh, it's no longer the hierarchy that I manage through the hierarchy. I'm managing through a multi-directional network. It's up, down, laterally, vertically, whatever needs to get done, whoever is the right leader, I have to liaise that way. Third one, it's no longer about authority. It's about reputation and expertise uh, and your your the ability to to empower and enable people. It's no longer about goals and plans and standards. It's about identity. It is about value propositions. And it's about this envisioned legacy and core values. Complete shift uh, also in that respect. It's not about an individual me leadership agenda. It's about the share we and an us agenda that we jointly have to receive. So it's not about my performance appraisal and my getting the bonuses. It's us getting there, making this difference. Uh, it, it's about servanthood and stewardship in contrast to individualism. Uh, you are not leading through uh, or doing through command and control. You're facilitating, you're empowering, you're enabling, you're coaching. Uh, it's not about events, leading through events like instructions and meetings. It's more like the process of getting people to get the job done uh, and be engaged. Uh, and it's not about knowing this all-powerful knowing leader. It's about learning and teaching in a humble way. These are some of the more important shifts, I think, that one needs to see. Of course, a major shift in, in the organizational culture as well. Hey, People I know for many people listening to it it may seem disruptive yes it is disruptive on uh, in terms of old ideas that that uh, we don't let go but the truth is a new kind of sense of order 
comes into your life. Uh, it's not the order of fixed doing things. It's the order of focusing on these points of process, of delegation, of trusting people, of enjoying your work, uh, of dynamic. If we speak of leadership is about uh, moving in a positive direction. You, you can't move if you want to stand in a fixed position all the time. So it's a new sense of order that comes into the confidence. So, for instance, if you sit down with Theo, Theo doesn't always know what's happened when he consults with what's going to happen. He doesn't really know, but you know, he spent a lifetime trying to understand the principles. So he enjoys the dynamics of getting involved with. with Tough questions, etc. Not so to you. So you're not pushing the guy to sit down there and I'm telling you what to do. <laughs> He's learned the tough way. He's a grandfather too now, you see. He's got to <laughs> understand that. So what I'm saying is he's learned that you must get close to the person. It's really um, the one thought we use here a lot in this platform is what matters most is what I think, what I feel, what I believe about me. And we want to understand everybody out there. It's about what they think of themselves as the basis for it. If I hold somewhat on that, it is uh, uh, under process. It's encouraging a dialogue. It's encouraging a questioning attitude because very often these leaders in these team-based organizations, and remember it's a rotational role as well, by just asking the right questions, they're opening up new perspectives and not giving instructions. You will do this as if I know what is needed uh, at your level in your, in your world and as if I know what the clients demand of you. Great. Theo, thank you so much for this conversation. Before we end, could you give us just a wrap-up? I, I think firstly for me, the messages. The takeaways for me, uh, uh, Louis and Kevin, are firstly, leaders have, are accountable for the type of organizational designs that are in place. It is one of their key tasks. Secondly, that the, the way in which we think about organizations for this Vikas world is changing radically. It's no longer kind of a fix here and a panel beat here and a little coat of paint here. Um, leaders have to think from first principles, not by themselves, but actually engaging the organization, saying, what value do we want to deliver for what clients in what markets that will beat the pants of them in terms of the, 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 the experiences they'll have of our organization, that outside in, and then build it. And the third takeaway for me is that teams have become critical in putting and being able to deliver in in, in uh, in the organization, and we have to reconfigure our organizations as multi-team systems. And, of course, the implication for leadership, it also then changes leadership themselves. They can't say, I'm a spectator, I'm going to stay the same. They have to come onto the playing field and play the game also differently. And be changed. <laughs> be changed. Now, just speaking as the old man yes. of the show, um, life takes on a new meaning when you become team oriented it really does um, that's why I'm still involved it, it, there's enjoyment in that and as you let go of the ego part you know the the arrogance part of you you develop a strength a boy that really is compelling and makes a difference out there Theo thank you for the lovely experience once again thank you very much Professor Theo H. Feltzman, again thank you so much for joining us for this master class this master lesson 
and we really appreciate your time. And uh, that's it for our masterclass this week. We look forward to meeting with you again and, and Professor Feltzman having you again on the show in, in a few weeks' time. Thank you so much for, for the, the energy and the, and the space and sending us this article as well that we could have this wonderful discussion with. Thank you very much and thank you for having me, as always. This is CliffCentral.com.